So it's just some technical support or are you self-sufficient with this stuff? Ah, uh, no, he's the IT man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I come out of Arnhem Land in, uh, what was it, uh, 1984, I knew nothing about computers whatsoever. So during the 80s, I regrew a liver and I actually decided that I'd have to join the real world and learn about yeah. computers. So, so where, where here, are mate. you now? I'm in, uh, I'm in Arnhem Land in uh, Northern okay. Territory, in uh, yeah, yeah. Nolanboy. Um, okay. It's in a mining town, but it's in the middle of Arnhem Land uh, amongst the Aboriginal communities. And uh, cool. we've sort of pulled back here years ago so kids could get high school, that sort of stuff. But it means I'm still working with the people and, uh, yeah, and uh, close enough you know, people all around us, yeah. The indigenous people, the younger people of Northeast Arnhem Land. I'd love to um, hear about the work you do and so on. It's uh, but, the format yeah. is much like the format we use. Like I've done 500 podcasts for younger people and language in the last few years. And, mm -hmm. uh, and the format we use is we call it discovery education, but it's based on good dialogue. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's your questions? What do you want to know? Let's have a conversation about it. So I'm quite used to that format. Well, obviously my first point of contact with you is, is um, well, a, a friend of mine's recommended your book for years and, and, um, I have to confess, I only just got hold of it, so I'm only two thirds of the way through it. I've been, been trying to read it in preparation to talking to you, but um, really, um, our background with our podcast is we're we're looking at reconnecting with land and so on, where we are, and obviously um, recognizing that people always used to be connected with land, and we're not so much these days. Um, yeah, and just that you know, in a sense, we're all in the same boat, like because we're we're a bit like widows and orphans and 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 because we've lost our, our our grounding with mother nature as it were so we're all we're all a bit out of kilter but um i guess um also very much aware that for indigenous people groups on the one hand they've still got some of that connection is 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 managed to survive and on the other hand they're the, they're the sort of latest um yeah. example of, of people being uprooted you know whilst we were uprooted centuries ago yeah um that that tragedy is still unfolding we live yeah. right in the middle of that tragedy that's yeah. that's our daily life because yeah it's strangely enough you know um the people we're working with many of them are, are busting their neck to get away from <laughs> their traditional roots and we're dealing mm. we're dealing now with the highest levels of chronic disease, diabetes, rheumatic heart disease, kidney failure, yeah, yeah, you name it. And it's all because of Western foods. And we run a Hope for Health program at the moment, which is turning back diabetes and everything else. And, you know, 30 years ago, I started to look for a diet that would work. And I don't know why I was so slow of coming around to the conclusion, but the conclusion was, go back to your traditional diet. And right. so... The real medicine is to go back and uh, eat the foods that your your uh, ancestors have eaten for thousands of years uh, and yeah. tried and tested foods. Wow. We can bring sugar levels down so fast they can be dangerous because people are still on medication. We've got to make sure they're off the medication to bring yeah. sugar levels down. But we can't get a lot of support for the work we do because it's sort of outside the, the mainstream understanding of things, you know, uh, 
take more medication, take more medication. We say medicine is food, food is medicine. Find the right foods and you'll actually be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder, I mean, are you conscious of the fact though that in the in the mainstream culture there are all these trends and and cultural threads that are beginning to get woven back in that a hundred percent point in that exactly that direction? I mean oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we're getting yeah. Uh, a certain amount of support, but it's not the mainstream cultural no. support, you know. Uh, the mainstream medical support is still, oh, you know, take all your medication, you know. Uh, and uh, I help people in hospital that have been in hospital for, say, even three, four months, and uh, they can't get their sugar levels down. Here they are feeding them the wrong food, you know. And uh, uh, as I say, when we started uh, working with some some clients, some younger clients around diabetes, uh, I just say, look, just eat what I eat for a start and we'll get your sugar levels down pretty quick. And they come down mm. so fast that we had mm. some people with what they call hypos, low sugar levels, uh, which can be a bit dangerous. Mm. And and we were a bit shocked that we could shift the uh, sugar levels so fast. So we know there's a mainstream move, you know, that a lot of people are looking back to the roots. And it's sad, you know, my 50 years here in Arnhem Land, uh, I've seen people come from a very traditional lifestyle, extremely traditional lifestyle, one that's thousands mm. of years old, to mm. now that's that, that, that a lifestyle that's, that's sort of in crisis, you know? Yeah. Yep. And, and it's been sad to watch it. And uh, we're trying to now do podcasts, do educational programs, uh, build videos and all that. And the theme of all those conversations is uh, let's go back to the roots of our ancestors. Let's go back to the roots of our ancestors. In actual fact, that, that phrase says, let's go back to the black charcoal. And you'd be interested in that. Wow. The black charcoal is the charcoal that's found in shell middens. Yeah. That are thousands of years old. And you can imagine somebody who's lived on the same estate of land for, for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. They pick up that bit of charcoal and they say, I wonder who my rally was that cooked their food on this fire. Mm. And it's because of the way that relation, that, that ancestor lived, it means I am here today. Mm. And so, and so they say, let's go back to the roots of the black charcoal mm. and try and find out the tried and tested way of living, which has allowed us to live, Aboriginal people here in Australia, allowed them to, to live for 40, maybe 60,000 years on their yep. estates. Look, I don't know that much about it, but I have, you know, I've done a certain amount of reading and I've, I've been across to Australia for some brief visits, um, what little I do know has convinced me that, that the, the accomplishment um, of the Aboriginal cultures across Australia was was unique, you know, because it was it was um, yeah. it was that that old. You know, people managed to yeah. be there for that long and figure out that landscape, how to be there, and and mm. and the, the coordination between the different tribes across the whole continent. It's it's totally unique. You know, you, you yeah. can say Africa had people there for that long, but there was nowhere near that kind of coordinated, um, unified yeah. cu culture in that sense. So I, I personally think that, that pre-contact Australia was the 
most sophisticated civilization that's 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 um you know well, it's, it's the prime I, example in, in my yeah I, and i think it's the fact they've been around so long i think proves that yeah. you know yeah and we deal we deal with stuff every day because um you know we're still uh we try and say to government look give us some funding and we can explain all these medical terms we can explain virtually every subject whatever you want in the original australian languages and they go what but they're primitive people and they say well not so primitive maybe we're the primitive ones today <laughs> they've got it all wrong <laughs> and they well, have a sophisticated system that live with their environment in harmony yeah. with their environment and and they lived to an old age. I know people yeah. when I first come to Arnhem Land, they were 90 years of age, you know, quite common. Not today, but it was common back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I met, I met an elderly lady in um, Daly River. Anyway, wherever I was. That, yeah, Daly River. Daly River is one of the places. Yeah. Well, this is this is a bit down south. So maybe there's another Daly River. Um, it was Northern Territory, but south of Darwin. That's right. Daly River, south of Darwin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, but there's some people there that 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 are really doing some stuff around the wild foods, and um, mm. this lady Molly um, was like the the grandmother, and was still teaching. Um, she must have been in her nineties, you know. She was amazing. While I was at, in Central Arnhem Land originally, when I came to the place, as I say, people were still living in their traditional housing. They were still living in a traditional lifestyle, and. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know guys that were probably 120 years age, you know, we were trying to work out their age and, uh, and, and I had to go back to massacre dates basically and say, well, how old were you back in 1918? And they'd say, Oh, I'm, I'm I was so high. I was so high, you know, uh, about as high as these kids here. So they're about 10 years of age in 1980. And so, you know, he was pushing, he was pushing, uh, 110 120 before he died um yeah. and as fit as as fit you know yeah, uh, yeah. right up until so there's no doubt about it i'm you know very convinced that uh you know even what it's done to my own health you know 10 years ago 12 years ago i was ready to push up daisies you know and uh, i changed all my health as went back and started eating properly uh, basically the, you know, garden foods and wild foods, if we can get it or whatever. And, um, and, and what a stun to my health has just been incredible, turned it right around. So mm. I, I'm absolutely convinced of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tend to think that what that all we're doing when we go back to these kind of diets is we're, you know, there's a, there's a proper relationship between a body of, of an animal you know whether that's us or something else but you know there's this this proper thing like there's the stuff out there and there's stuff that we need oh excuse me <laughs> you got a train going past yeah <laughs> so people listening to the podcast they, they have to put up with that but they also can hear the songs of the birds so, so that's probably it balances it out <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what I say on some of my podcasts. Uh, some of my uh, colleagues say, "Oh, you can hear the cockatoos in the background." I say, "Well, that's great. That's great. <laughs> Not a problem." Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, what I was trying to say is this: there's like this fit between, um, you, you know, the right kind of foods that are out there in the place that you live, and and your own body. You know, 
which yeah. which is so complex you know what we what we need is so complex and i think a lot of people don't realize you know because we're omnivores it means we have to get everything from outside you know unlike a, a koala bear that can just eat eucalyptus all day and make its own you know <laughs> manufacture everything you know yeah. but there's this kind of fit and 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 to me like the genius of 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 the human being is is that we've gone to all these different places around the world yeah. with completely different environments and yet we've managed to find that fit between ourselves and the environment especially you know to get the foods that we need and but yeah. those things take, take a long time to develop and, and the culture that supports it takes a long time to develop and um i think this is what gets missed is that people don't realize that the the real um treasure uh and yeah. genius of a of a of a culture is is that ability to um you know to get it to, to be able to find a way to take into our bodies the stuff that we actually need from from yeah. that from that place yeah well one of the, one of the things that uh, you'd find interesting about the the Jungle culture here the original culture in australia is that um one, one of the things is the people their calendar was all the flowers all the different flowers right when you harvest right. different foods you right. harvest different foods according to the flowers that are out and um and so that was the people's calendar and and what it did was the harvest occurred when the fat levels were the highest in the animals and so the animals were healthy and they had high fat level right down to even oysters so there's a there's a flower on a bush that says, okay, the oysters are now ready. Uh, go and harvest the oysters. Um, and it's always to do with the jukkur, what they call the jukkur, the fat levels, right? Because uh, Western societies come along and poo-hooed all about saturated animal fats and all that sort of stuff. And another 10, 20 years time, we'll find out how wrong we were, you know. Uh, saturated fats are great. They don't oxidize yeah. in your body. They don't oxidize. Yeah. yeah. And why would you want to build your body about out of anything else? And 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 this is what Jung was struggling with now. But um, we say go back to your traditional diet, and then some of the uh, nutritionists and all that they go, oh, hang on, but they're saturated fats. And I said, well, you can't have it two ways. You can't tell people to go back to their traditional diet, and then tell them not to go back to their traditional diet. Yeah. So so uh, get over it. You know, we've got forty thousand dollars worth, forty thousand years worth of uh tried and tested evidence here about what's yep. good for the body yeah and and it's that harmony with the body with what you eat and low low temperature cooking and all that sort of thing that the people used to used to apply you know right uh, really you know cooking in the ground ovens and and uh, or on the coals right on top of fires rather than using you know hot fry pans and all those sort of things all, all those very simple things now that we're seeing now through the evidence of uh, that that it's the best way to eat, you know, yep. and to eat in season. <laughs> yep. Yeah, rather than just what we're doing now, eating the same thing all year round. Yeah. One thing about traditional um, Aboriginal Australian diets that, that I notice, because the work the work that I do is really focused on um, on green stuff, basically. Yep. So herbs and salads and greens. Um, and what yep. I've noticed, having looked at quite a lot of um, ethnobotanical work around, you know, documenting the, the uh, Aboriginal foods is they don't eat a lot of salads and greens. Um, I don't know if you're at least, at least that's what I found. I don't know. There was, there was um, 
watercress and so forth that were yep. was eaten, uh, and also the you know, in our our way the water lilies and so forth and nuts and so forth. Uh, but yeah, the protein diet was fairly high, but also the complex carbohydrates of the yams and so forth. And yep. they have they have a a diet balance which they call uh, the gunyongata and the munyangata uh, balance of protein and carbohydrate. And uh, but of course the carbohydrates are eating were very um, uh, complex carbohydrates, not like what yes. we've got today with the modern yeah. flours and which just turn straight into sugars. You know, you might as well be eating shoveling sugar in your yeah, mouth. Yeah. Um, and and so it seems to be that um, that the people the people's traditional diet here was carbohydrates, gunyong uh, at uh, the protein food, and water. They would say that, yeah. but in the protein foods, they would always go for fairly high fat levels. Yeah, and, yeah. And in actual fact, if they they caught a stingray or or uh, they caught an animal or something like that, and, and when they uh, they butchered it and uh, if it didn't have much fat in it sometimes it would be discarded because it'd be seen as there's something wrong with this it's sick or it's the animal mm, sick or mm. something wrong with it so mm. you would actually discard it um, because it was so important to have that mixture of of protein plus the fats the animal fats with it yeah and and that but that probably is so, I mean, the, the, there are a lot of diets like European peasant diets um, where the wild foods play a, a big factor and in yeah. the Middle East. So there they'd be eating a lot of salads and greens. But, mm. you know, as you try and get your head around, well, okay, but people have been in all these different places yeah. with traditional diets and they've had, you know, almost total absence of any of these modern diseases like diabetes and heart disease, cancer and dementia and whatnot. So they must yeah. all have been getting what they needed, even though some of them ate loads of greens and some didn't. Because to me, I was really challenged by that at first. But I guess the conclusion I've come to is, well, they must be getting what, what some are getting through directly eating the plants. Others are getting because they eat the animal that ate the plants. So they, 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 they're still getting yeah. these nutrients, but it's in the meat yeah. or, or more likely in the fat. It's but the but the Aboriginal diet was clearly uh, uh, of um, uh, certain you know seeds, yams, uh, nuts, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, nuts, for instance. The rakai nuts was big in diet. The the cycad palm, which is one of the oldest prehistoric palms, mm. and they they would make a bread out of that. So mm. they were getting still a very wide range of not a lot of heavy concentration on greens. Uh, mm. But there was there was definitely greens uh, in in their diet, um, and uh, the, as I say, the nuts and so forth. So, but the the other interesting factor was their fruits were all sour fruits, right? They were sour fruits, and probably the doctor the apple that kept the doctor away was probably a crab apple back in European history, right? They're sour yes. too. Yes. Now what Western yes. Western uh, breeding has done is created these uh, lolly fruits, basically, you know, the, the fructose, yep. the sweets, yep. which yep. is disaster for our health because the body doesn't know what to do with fructose. It just doesn't know what to do with it, not used to it. And yet yep. that's a big part of our modern diet in fruit juices and all those sorts of things. 
And this is what young are really suffering from the high levels of sugar, high level of, of, of simple carbohydrates and, and high levels now of being pumped into or told, convinced to, to, to drink, drink fruit juices and, and yep. eat modern fruits. And, and we just say to people, no, go back to your sour fruits, go back to those things. So there was a very wide range of, of uh, different foods. You mentioned fruit juice there. And yeah, um, I mean, just a little thing. So, so there's, some, there's some work I've been uh, reading into a lot. And actually the, the, the guy that authored it has been on the podcast a couple of times, a guy called mm. Fred Provenzo. And he's, he's looked at like... Um, trying to crack the code of what's driving the, the you know the industrial food system and associated um you know health traps yeah you know, the downside of it and then looking before he looks at traditional diets he actually looks at the, the behavior of grazing animals and sees how you know they've basically got this body-based wisdom that enables them to just know what they need to eat when they need to you know whether yeah. they're it's like nutrition or or like they're sick, what they need to eat is something yeah. that they're able to discern and know about and, and, and go and find these things, you know. And he, 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 uh, he did some research with people because he basically came to the conclusion that like we need, we need certain nutrients um, and if we get them, we won't overeat. Right, yeah. And so he did this thing, we got people to eat. Um, he got people to eat two, two conditions, same people, two conditions. One was like a plate of stodge, could have been pasta or rice, I don't know, but basically yeah. not a lot of flavor there, you know, it's just yeah. stodge. And then, and then he asked people what their favorite meal was mm. and he gave them that. And the thing was, which, which are they going to eat more of? And contrary to what you might think, or certainly what I thought that the outcome was going to be, was, was, was that they ate more of the, uh, the, the stodge. And the reason is, is that the body's got these, these things that say, okay, that's, that's enough now. I've got what I need, thanks. Switches off yeah. the appetite. Because your mm. favorite meal's got spices and, and hopefully, you know, good quality meat in there with, with an animal that's eaten the right food. But mainly it's got spices and herbs and, and, and vegetables. And, and what your body's after is those things that, 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 that the, the, the phytonutrients, basically. Yeah. Which, as I say, in, yeah. the, in the case of good meat, you'd get that from the animal. But... Um, mm. Like for us, like say say we uh, we have some minced meat and pasta and tomatoes and onions and things like that and and some herbs in there. Yeah. The reason you're not going to eat so much is because you got you got those signals coming from your body that you've actually got what it needed. Well, yeah. if you then transfer that to uh, to something like a fruit juice, um, yeah. It's even worse now because orange juice used to have like bitter compounds in and about yeah. 10 years ago the juice manufacturers figured out how to take those out yeah so you've even got this thing like those bitter compounds would have been part of the mix that's that, that you drank that glass of orange juice and your body said no that's enough now because that compound is is a really good one and the, but the body doesn't want too much of it hmm. so they they've kind of they've made it even worse basically like, like, like those fruit juices now don't even contain this bitter compound but but like the the real the real killer is that 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 compound you know it's got a name it's called limonin and, yeah. and there's a lot of evidence that it, 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 it it's it's an anti-cancer compound you know yeah so that's, yeah yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> oh the crazy world we live in <laughs> yeah um i don't know if you you've heard about the 
what's it called? It's it's the chemical that's released by even fat cells in the body called leptin, right? Right, right, Le right. Le right. Leptin. And um, if you if you if you're drinking a lot of fruit juices and a lot of you're getting a lot of fructose, your brain won't hear, hear leptin. You get too much white right. noise in the background. Right. And so, like I, I can go now for two days without oh. eating. Okay. Two days. And sometimes I've been away uh, two days and I don't get hungry because I've got enough fat cells in my body. My leptin is actually telling me you've got enough fuel on board. Right. right. And and when right. and when when you start taking in sugars and you start taking in fruit juices and all that, you get this white noise and your brain can't hear the leptin. And it can't it doesn't say to you, you still feel hungry, even if you so I I can't remember now. It's so far back now, it's it's 10 years back, you know, you know, eating till you you feel sick, you're so full, you know what I mean? You yeah, know, you you eat and you eat and you think you can eat some more and you you take some uh your second and third helping because you think you're still hungry, you're still hungry, you're still hungry until you absolutely your stomach is full, and that's when you stop. I yeah. never have that sort of situation anymore now because the leptin is telling my brain, you've got enough on board. You can actually go without a meal. You can go without two or three and sometimes a couple of days, not a problem. Never feel hungry again, but you've got to get rid of the fructose. You've got to get rid of those fruit sugars. And uh, so you've got to get back. If we could get back to sour, sour fruits uh, and as you say, all the other compounds that were in those sour fruits, you know, many, many, many that uh, that 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 were probably great for our body. Uh, and and the trouble is, the food producers these days are just worrying about the sugar content. Oh, it's sweet, a lovely sweet mango, a lovely sweet. Even somebody said the other day, a lovely sweet pumpkin. And I go, I don't want a sweet pumpkin. I want the old pumpkin, you know, the the one that was. Uh, not so great in flavor, but great in everything that's inside yeah. it. Yeah. And that's that's where we're at with traditional foods here. And people say, people say the problem is we uh umpton numpton. We 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 go we go after the taste. We we chase the taste. And that yeah. taste, chasing the taste is giving us chronic disease. Yeah. What well, I think. I think there's a couple of things going on there. One, one is, one is the, you know, the conclusion I've come to is that what the industrial food system is doing is, is infantilizing our palates. Like, yeah, basically, you yeah. know, treating us all like babies. We, we're only going to yeah. have sloppy stuff with no texture. Yeah. yeah. Nothing that I have to <laughs> chew on. We're yeah. only going to have sweet stuff and don't give me any challenging flavors. I just, just want to, yeah. you know, yeah. Terrible, and but the thing is, what that appeals to is is the is the is this is the surface level encounter of you put it in your mouth and you 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 get that I don't know pl pleasure rush of sorts yeah, that it's sweet. Right. Yeah. But 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 the chap I was just uh, um, referencing a few minutes ago, Fred Bavenza, what 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 he looks mm. at is mm. is the depth of our palate that he says basically. For a start, you've got taste receptors on your lungs and your and your and your your heart and and mm. but also that there's this thing that goes on when you actually get um, like a micronutrient or a phytochemical or just something that you really need reaches yeah. the part in your body that needs it. Yeah. There is a very deep level thing which most mm. of us are completely insensitive to that would also go yum, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but 
mm. but because we're not conscious of that, we're only going for this surface level thing. Well, you, you, you're right there. Look, let me give you an example of that. Like I grew up on the, on a farm, right? And, and you could, we used to give sheep and cattle and all that salt licks, right? Yeah. Now their body needed salt. And uh, if, if you didn't give them salt licks, they, they would definitely wouldn't thrive, but some of them would actually go and start eating uh, some of the clays and all that down, down the creek. Yeah, down, down the river. And interesting, traditional people used to do that also. Yeah. At some stage, they would eat, eat certain white clays and so forth. And, and I wondered what it was about. And it was they said it was their body saying to them that they right. needed to eat the white clay, just like, just like the cattle were and sheep were uh, when they were after certain salts and their bodies were lacking it. So if you're right. in balance with your body and what your body is receiving, and it's not full of all this junk, this toxic junk called sugars and sweets, which are terribly toxic. They turn into toxic. Yeah. Um, we're just doing videos now on chronic disease, and I've been researching around it to do the stuff over in language. To, to and, and I am absolutely shocked, you know, that we even allow sugar to be sold, <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that, mm. that, we're, that we're pushing all these sweet fruits and so forth because they turn into toxins in our body. And your body cannot then tell you what you need. But traditionally, people did know that, even to the point that sometimes they would go and eat clay. I remember, I remember first when I first saw it, it was pregnant mothers who were eating clay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they needed those extra minerals to build the bones and build the, everything else in the child that was developing inside them. Uh, but we need to be in tune with our body for that. And to be in tune, we need to get rid of the, the, that sweet, uh, the sweet sugars, the white flowers, the, the chronic disease. That, that People with so many stomach aches and I say to them, just stop eating anything flour, anything with sugar for two or three months and you might find that you, you actually become healthy again. You know, dealing with gout and so forth, just by dealing with the sweets and the sugars and the sweet fruits, get rid of them and then, uh, then have some some foods that are medicine you know like we find uh, the sour grapes and the and pineapple for us works great you know just for gout so finding those foods that that you can then eat as as, as medicines uh that's what we've got to get back to that's amazing um just out of interest do you do you do you, uh, you obviously know a bit but quite a bit about gout like is that something that only affects older people do you think so it affects mainly older people, male older people, but we, we had a lot of uh, young or that was starting to get gout now in the early age. And I was shocked because, you know, in the first 20 years in Arnhem Land, 30 years, first 30 years in Arnhem Land, never saw a younger person with gout, right? And now we're getting people with, with chronic gout. And, um, and so it pulled me up and then I actually started, I was about 60 in my sixties. I started getting gout and I'm going, Oh, I'm going to have to research this. This is no good. And yeah. I have, I have no gout pain today. I don't yeah. have to take any medication. The doctors wanted to load me up with medication. Yeah. I go, no, 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 no. I'm going to find the foods that will get rid of gout. And today I sit here and there's not a pain, no pain from gout whatsoever. Uh, and it's mainly the sour, sour grapes. And go back to sour grapes if you can get them. You can get some juices, uh, tart grapes they're called, and so forth. And we find also pineapple, which is a 
Filipino, actually, traditional medicine for gout. And, and stuff, what was that one that used to, the tea I used to eat out of Indonesia? Um, can't think of that at the moment, but there was also a tea out of Indonesian that we used to use. What about gubbins? Does that, does that work? I don't know that one. What is that? Oh, it's um, oh, Torminalis. They harvest it a lot in, in um, Kimberley. I thought you had it over there. It's... Um, I don't know it. Gubbins, yeah. It's, I mean, that's, I think that's the Kimberley aboriginal name for it but um yeah it could be local what, name yeah uh, what do they call it it's definitely got it over um yeah if you ever if you if you remember but you think of it yeah i'll leave it you. over to me yeah. yeah yeah we have uh a very sour berry that grows on the coast there called sea buckthorn i'm just wondering if 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 that um well we know it's got amazing health properties but um i'm wondering if people suffering with gout would benefit from that one then yeah. Any, anything that can get get away from fructose, get away from the fruit juice, yeah. just get yeah. away from it if you've got gout. Um, but also don't eat eat sugar because what is it about fifty percent of sugar is also fructose. So yeah, just get all sugar out of your diet. And then um, uh, there's a few things. Uh, yeah, I can't think of the other things. I was just giving somebody some advice yesterday on. I'm not a, I'm not a practitioner or anything. I'm a community educator. Okay. Uh, and the, my background is a fitter and turner, actually. Okay. But I've had to come to this because all my young colleagues around me are dying of these Western conditions because yep. of Western foods. And so, uh, as I say, for years, 40 years ago, I started working with young who had diabetes. And I listened to all the, the mainstream advice, all the nutritionists giving me this advice that none of it worked. None of it worked. Mm, mm. And it wasn't until we, um, we went, hello, let's just go back. Let's go back to the, the black charcoal uh, way of living. And yep. uh, what was it that people ate back then? Well, complex carbohydrates, you know, vegetables, uh, protein with fat um, and, and so on. And, and sour fruits. <laughs> There's not a there's not a fruit in Arnhem Land that's that, that's got there's one that's got a little bit of sweet in it. But most <laughs> of them are all sour, and they have honey only in season. Uh, the traditional honey from the native bees, yeah. So you'd only you'd have a, a top up on sweets through that honey season, but it'd be gone then. So your body's got a chance to get rid of the nuric acid in it that's building up from that causes the gout. Yeah. And drink plenty of water. So you people, we just did a video on this. <laughs> we're saying, look, you've got to drink water. And, they, and, and the people were saying back to me, why? Why are we drinking water? And I said, well, you have a shower, don't you? You have a shower on the outside. Well, you need a shower on the inside too. So you right. need enough water to go through to wash out your kidneys and so forth and get those acids right, right. out of your system. Yeah. Right, right. We have we have had people who I've just got onto water. So they've got what they call very high level creatinine levels. Creatinine is uh, well, it's basically urine in your blood, right? right? It's not getting out of your blood. And and how do we solve that? Just get onto water. Just yep. drink enough water. Get up in the morning and have two big glasses of water every morning, and yep. uh, and and drink some more glasses during the day, and make sure the urine that's coming out is at least clean sometime during the day, you know, 
And then, you know, your body's had a good shower inside as well, rather than just worrying about washing on the outside. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're saying about the sugar, like, the, I don't know how I got onto this, but um, I found some statistics a few years ago about, like, how much land is devoted to which crops, like, and basically yeah. what are the biggest crops. Yeah. And I'm a bit rusty on the stats now, but suffice it to say, um, about a third of the land that's been used to grow crops, when you add it all up, yeah, globally is for sugar. Yeah, massive. Because Especially. on the one end, yeah, you've you've got you've got sugar cane, mm. and then in in Europe and probably elsewhere, but we've got sugar beet, which is making that. But then the amount of maize that's now being converted into sugar. Yeah, corn you've syrup. Got another, in America. Wow. <laughs> so the corn so, syrup, you know, eh? Yeah, and yeah. and and. And when you, when you realise all this stuff that that basically not only is this not not food it's it's poison mm. and and that you, you know not only do you not need any of this stuff you actually <laughs> better off without it well, and then people are saying oh we need more land to grow food I'm thinking no you don't wow. just stop <laughs> using one third of it to grow poison yeah yeah. Actually, you know, it's it's incredible because people's doctors will turn around and say to me, but but your brain needs uh, some uh, glucose every day to yeah. survive, so you've got to get some glucose. Well, hello, your liver can deal with that. Yeah. Your liver's used to dealing with that. The liver can create enough glucose for your brain, you know, give you about point uh, about about three or four, the numbers of the of the sugar levels. Uh, you you your liver will do that. If you're not eating the stuff, your liver will yeah. do that quite comfortably every day. Turn yeah. proteins or whatever carbohydrates into into glucose for your brain to operate, and you don't get these massive surges in your brain, and then then the massive insulin surges that follow afterwards, and then you feel so tired. You know, like yeah. uh, a lot of doctors say to the diabetic patients, "Oh, you've got to get up and exercise." You might as well tell a person that's that's totally crippled, can't walk or move, to get up and exercise. To tell a diabetic to get up and exercise, they've just got no energy. They've got no energy yep. whatsoever. They can hardly get yep. out of the chair. And uh, so, what you got to do is get their sugar levels down. And then all of a sudden, we had one girl, uh, one my colleague, my friend that does a lot of podcasts with me and doing the videos with me at the moment. <clears throat> she was in a wheelchair. Couldn't get across to across the road. The clinic was actually just across the road. She couldn't get across the road without being put in a wheelchair to take to the clinic to do a sugar level readings, a blood tests, and all those sort of things. We we uh, had a in the, in our program for a fortnight, and she after the fortnight she was walking around the community. <laughs> now people thought it was some sort of magic. I said, well, yeah, it's magic. You just eat the right foods. That's how magic it is. So it's, and uh, yeah. So we're, Miles, we're putting out a lot of stuff still. If people are interested in looking our way, <laughs> we've just Absolutely. done some stuff on cultural stuff just lately. We've just put up some uh, courses on culture, the, the, the traditional culture in, in Australia around their kinship system, you know, wonderful systems of how they, where, where you can have more than one mother, you can have more than one father, you know, and a whole system which which <laughs> meant that there was no orphans, there was no widowers, uh, the, everybody was cared for. 
And yet the Western model comes along. It was basically the British model that pushed in and said, no, 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 you can't have, you can't have two fathers, you can't have two mothers. And it's still creating so much complexity today for the people. So I've just done programs on the kinship system of Arnhem Land. Uh, three chapters there that go through it that people would be interested if they want to look this way. Absolutely. Um, well, on our website, on our website, whywarriors.com.au, you'll see it there, cultural courses, and uh, and a whole lot of other stuff on our website talking about some of the things we're talking about today. Yeah. That's really good. I'm, you know, I think, you know, it's like, um, just going back to what you said a minute ago about it being magic, um, people saying it's magic. I mean, I really do think it is magic. To me, <laughs> to me, right, this relationship that every other species has and that we used to have, you know, where there's a yeah. direct link between what we do all day and what the land is doing all day and the other animals and the plants are doing all day. You know, there's a dance that that is beautifully uh, choreographed by, yeah, you know, our needs, the needs of the environment, we're just we're just it's just beautiful yeah that's magic to me because everybody gets what they need and um yeah and somehow or another we turned our back on that and said no there's no 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 we're we're going to do it like this but you know the whole thing's collapsing right now richard as we as we yeah. very well know yeah um so people are beginning to turn back and go i think everyone's saying what 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 your um friends are saying like, let's get back to the black charcoal i think everyone feels it uh, to me it's like to me it's like the salmon you know the salmon get back to their spawning grounds you know and yeah. i don't know how they do it but i just get this itching that says oh i don't know but i just feel like i need to be swimming this way you know i yeah. just think everybody's got that itching right now i don't care how wrong they are like the people like the bank managers and the oil tycoons and the politicians and the whoever they they still feel that itching, you know, and I think, yep. I think that where some people are actually swimming up river, well on the way, you know, there's more and more people going to turn and follow. At least that's my. Well, it's uh, a, it's a, naively it's, hopeful. <laughs> yeah, no, look, uh, I am naively hopeful too because it's like that balance, as you say, that um, it's it's a it's it's it's. And I say it's a physical, spiritual balance, you know, with the whole of creation. You know, it's it's just there, and uh, it if you eat right, you you get some exercise, you know, drink water and all that sort of stuff. But also look after your neighbour and so on. You know, don't go creating troubles with people around you. Uh, it's it is magic because it creates that good sense of living. Sometimes we've got to get to my age, you know, 70 years of age before you wake up to yourself and say, hey, it's, it's, quite, it's quite simple really how to live productively, to live fully, to live excitingly, you know. Mm. Uh, but it's sometimes it means that we can't just go, as the Jung was saying to me the other day, we go for the taste. You just can't go for that, that quick uh, zippy zippy whether it's a relationship or zippy zippy foods or or go for the yeah. drugs and the alcohol and all that sort of stuff because that's not going to do any good to your body nothing nothing at yeah. all it's not going to help you out at all but learn to discipline yourself Jung will call it um, rapidity rapidity now the rapidity is the discipline of the mind the body and the soul right, right. It, it's disciplining those things together in balance is the, is the, almost the perfect way to live where we can be almost uh, uh, 
it's almost create a, a harmony with the the surroundings around us and uh, whether it's just a small garden that we might have we can create that harmony of peace within it or or we're walking walking in uh, in uh, pristine you know country of uh, and uh, wherever it is or on a farm or but even if you're in the city and there's there's parklands or whatever you know just in your own little garden just just try and get that balance happening yeah 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 where you're eating what you produce and uh, I, I like to use even, you know, uh, some people say to me, how do you grow so many things good? And I say, well, I don't waste the stuff by putting it, uh, you know, I'm a man, I can go and wee under a tree, you know, and it creates great, great, uh, it great uh, produce, you know, and that's yep. the cycle we should be going back into rather than put, putting everything into a, a pond and creating another mess somewhere else for somebody else, you know. <laughs> It'd be good yeah. if we all had uh, proper composting toilets and everything. Well, I haven't got that far yet. <laughs> Just haven't got, got around to it. No, I haven't properly either. But we have got a compost heap here at work, like we because because we we work with a lot of fresh produce, and sometimes it goes past yeah point we can use it, and so we put it on a compost heap. Everybody to... should everybody should have a big compost heap in their backyard, and yeah. putting the carbon back in the ground. Your boxes, your paper, your everything, chuck it on the compost heap under a yep. tree, whatever. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, as you say, us fellas got have something to contribute to that because for some reason, I, I can't remember what it is, but we've got something in our urine that yep. the ladies don't, that helps mm. break that down. So I used to have a bucket next to our compost heap and wherever we had male guests, yeah, I invited <laughs> them to... Uh, but 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 one day I caught myself because we had twenty male guests and the bucket <laughs> needed emptying about six times. Uh, so I kind of put me off telling the guests they could pee in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, especially especially if they haven't been washing on the inside, you know. So it comes through yeah. very strong and very powerful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, as I said, I'm I'm working my way through your book, which um. I know you, you originally wrote that in um, late 90s, didn't you? But I see you've updated it several times. Um, I mean, I wonder if we should talk about that because it seems very important, like what, uh, yeah. you know, the reason you ended up writing the book. I mean, yeah. I was, wanna... I was, I'll tell you the story about that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I'd never written anything much in my life. I, I left school, I could hardly read and write. Then I came to Arnhem Land and had to learn a whole lot of other things. And as I say, I was a fitter and turner. And then I started training as into community development work, uh, how to help the people rather than fix vehicles. How could I help the people survive with what they were facing? And um, and I really loved that stuff. But one day I was sitting with my uh, my CEO, a younger man who was uh, in charge of our organisation that we work with. And we were talking about all the all the problems around Australia, and he'd been on committees everywhere around Australia, and even internationally, and United Nations and everything else. And he says, "Look, I have a I have a problem. I start talking to English speaking people, and because he's English, probably fifth or sixth language, uh, knows a lot of his own people's languages, but didn't know English was one he struggled with." 
And, and he says, I start talking with them about after 20 minutes, I find that they're not understanding me and I'm not understanding them. We're missing each other. You know, it's just missing yep. each other. Yeah. And he says, I want you to write a book about it. Why right. are we missing each other and why, why are we not being able to connect the things together in our yep. conversation? Yep. Yeah. And I said, why me? And he said, you've got it in your head. You've got it in your head. You know, you can explain it. And uh, the other staff actually laughed and said, oh, Trudgeon, you know, he couldn't write, couldn't write a, a book to, to save his life. And, uh, and I, I thought, well, the boss wants me to do it. He's told me to get stuck into it. Uh, I'll, I'll take the challenge on because there was something inside me that said I could do it. Mm. And so I started. It was a three-year three nightmare, actually. <laughs> and um, almost broke up my marriage and everything, you mean? Oh no! Because I had to, I had to then also learn a bit more about computer and typing and I'm a lousy speller. I'm, I'm a bit dyslexic, so absolutely horrible speller. Um, but I had uh, some good editors who worked with me and all that sort of stuff. And uh, the book we we only we only published two thousand copies. We thought. Oh, it won't go far. Well, 2,000 copies will probably last us 10 or 20 years, you know. Well, the book's gone now 40,000 copies. Uh, and uh, we're just about to print another lot of them. Uh, and it's now out in French also, if people want it in French. Um, and uh, But what it's done, the interesting thing about it, I thought we were just talking about Northeast Arnhem Land. And I thought we were just talking about Jungle people. But I've had letters back now from all around the world from Indigenous people right. who, who have said, this book speaks to us. Whether it's American Indians, you know, some of the American Indian letters were really, really sad mm. and interesting because they said, your book has now explained to us why our old people lost it way back then. We used to be angry at our ancestors. Why did they let the Europeans take over the Americas, you know? Why didn't they stand up and fight them? And they said, we can now see it in the struggle of the Yungo people in Arnhem Land, why our old people lost it and how they lost it. And uh, we thank you for that. And, and other people, whether from Bosnia-Herzegovina, re refugees way back then, and from indigenous people in uh, Japan and so on and so on around the country, but also a lot of Aboriginal people in Australia have said, wow, this just, this explains it. And yeah. um, I don't know how it just come together, but what what I did was just try and write the Yungo story. And in writing that story, we explain the human dynamics that's happening between the mainstream English culture and their culture. Uh, and uh, we're trying to write about another five of them at the moment. <laughs> it's, blown, it's blown out into a massive thing. Yeah. Uh, and I had to break it up into five different things uh, around health, around education, around law, around uh, uh, the interaction between two cultures. Uh, yeah, there's a number, there's about five different uh, things that, that are on the right, if I can get to them. But hopefully I'll get to them before I, I become a bit of fertilizer in that compost heap, mate. <laughs> well, I hope so. Um, I just wanted to draw something out, but like those who are listening wouldn't have seen what you did with your hands. So when you said we were missing each other, you, yeah. you got your hands like this. So yeah, they were we, missing. We missed each other. each other over the top, bang. Yeah. 
we missed then, each other. Yeah, go. And then you did this other thing with your hands, yeah. which was not missing each other. So yeah. your fingers went in the gaps between the other fingers and made it made right. a like a yeah. dovetail joint. Yes, yes. And then, and, yeah, go on. And 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 that's what we try to do with languages yeah. and everything every yeah. day is. How can we bring the people's language, their conversation, their story, and join it together with the mainstream conversation so people from yeah. both sides can actually experience uh, the other side? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, so, I blocked you there. Yeah, no, that's all right. No, we're going back and forth. It's just um, it's just that you then said and that it, that it came together, like, in the book. Mm. So I just got this picture that, that, that your book was a, was a prototype. What yeah. happens? What happens if that dovetail does happen? That people do properly understand and hear each other. Yeah. There's that meeting point, and then you've got something that you can work with. And and it seems yeah. to me like your book yeah. is 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 that yeah. that we used to have a thing uh, on on children's television here, the program called Blue Peter, and mm. they'd show you how to make something, and you'd get halfway through it, and then they'd say, "Here's one we made earlier," and they'd bring this thing out that they made earlier. That's the finished result, you know. And it seems to me that, like I'm reading this book, and 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 I, you're dealing with it bit by bit, like the, the you know, the employment situation, the the healthcare situation, the education situation, the food situation, and um, yeah, they 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 do all seem to me to be like starting points for 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 things that could be, you know, a meeting with you know the health establishment the education establishment and uh, aboriginal people but i mean i'm curious to know whether whether that how that's you know are, are you seeing like officialdom yeah i mean you've already shared your frustration about the the fact that the health professions are still not um that's probably the biggest disappointment in my life because a lot of indiv individuals a lot of individuals and i've many many be be many many people hundreds now have spoken to me about how the book has changed their life. It just gives them a whole new appreciation of Indigenous people. Yep. And, uh, and so individually, and a lot of those people, a lot of those people went off and uh, a lot of those people went off and did language and, you know, language learning and all those sort of things and tried to, you know, be better communicators with the Indigenous people they were working with and so on. But across government, it, it's, it's, Culture is so very hard to change. It's so hard to change. And mainstream culture uh, is extremely hard to change. Uh, like what we're talking about, you know, eating wild foods and whether they're plant or animal, or whatever. Uh, moving people into a new culture, a new way of thinking is, is extremely difficult. So what you've got to do is come up with examples after example, after example, after example. And that's what we're hoping to do in a lot of the stuff we're putting out now around uh, right. uh, cultural courses and so forth on uh, on our things. So, so that in the end, it's like a a a, a drip of water on a stone, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and but we can't get funded for the programs we want to do. We know we can make massive changes. Like the government's done a program in Australia now called Closing the Gap, which is supposed to close the gap between Indigenous people, disadvantage, and mainstream. They spent millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into it, and no change, basically. Actually, a couple of the indicators have gone backward. I think one, 
one indicator out of six or ten, whatever it is, can't remember the, the stats on it now. One got a little bit better. All of them stayed the same. Two of them, which one of them was uh, uh, suicide and mental disorder and so forth, got far worse. You know. Yeah. And and so we're saying to the government continually, you've just got to change the way you do it. Mm. And and they but they they don't want to listen. They want to say, oh no. I, I'm new at this job. I know how to how to get Aboriginal people to change. Well, no, you don't. You're coming along with a with a cultural script that was written by the by the settlers originally, and it's not going to work. You're going to put another how many millions of dollars into it, and uh, and and you're actually going to make the problem worse. So I'm not giving up on it, Miles. I'm just going to come the drip on the stone. You know, just keep yeah. dripping at it. And show them that that there is another way to do it, and it's it's extremely exciting because we're discovering every day almost new terms. I mean, academic terms in the original Australian language that's never been written in English before. Never been written in English before. In other words, they would have they probably would have been lost, like they've been lost across most of the the uh, the continent of Australia. Uh, only here in Arnhem Land, we have some of the most traditional people still left that's got yep. their law, got their culture, yep. got their everything. So we're trying to now create as many podcasts, videos using that original Australian language. So it stays in use, actually comes back into use in many cases. And, uh, and so it can be here in 100 and 200 years time. We get criticised for using the old people's language. We get criticised by mainstream people. And they say, oh, no, you should be using the children's language. I said, no, we use the old people's language. And, and they say, why do you do that? And I said, look, let me give you one example. An old grandma pulls me up in the, the shop down the road. She's come in from her homeland. And uh, I hardly know her, but she, she recognised me. And she says, said to me, Wamut, which is my skin name here in Arnhem Land, Wamut, thanks for using the old people's language. It's called the Gurungay Mata, the academic language of, of Australia. Thanks for using the Gurungay Mata, the academic language. And I said, why? Give me one, one reason why that's good. She said, the young people are sitting there. They're listening to you talking to the doctor or the lawyer or the whatever. And those young people can't understand it. But they can see that I'm understanding it. So what do they do? They then turn to the grandma, their grandma, they turn to me and they say, Grandma, what's he talking about? So you turn me back into an educator. You turn Fantastic. me back into something exciting for the children to turn back to and ask, Oh, Grandma, you mean to say you can understand this stuff? You know? So yeah. that old language is not rubbish at all. That language is fantastic. It's the way forward. Well, this, this is going to seem like a really trivial. Uh, a parallel example but I, I i think i think it is a parallel example yeah so my uh, my daughter is um you know into music she's 13 yeah so she's got spotify now which means she can explore all of the music that's on spotify which is lots of music <laughs> yeah. and i'm sitting there listening to this stuff thinking when is she going to realize that this stuff is really pallid and and not that great compared to 
you know, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and Bob Dylan and Bob Marley. <laughs> you know, when is she going to realize? Over breakfast yesterday morning, she said, um, she said, Dad, you know, I was listening to Freddie Mercury and listening to this and listening to that. She said, I do recognize, and it's not like I've tried to tell her this. She, she just come to this conclusion. I do yeah. recognize that, you know, that the music back then in the 70s and the 60s, you know, there isn't any music like that being made now. It is what I was. <laughs> I lifted my hands up and went, hallelujah. <laughs> this, is, this is a moment. <laughs> this is a moment. But, you know, I know it's a really cheeky, silly parallel, but, like, in a sense, what those kids are realizing yeah. is, is that language and culture, mm. you know, this stuff that they've been chasing after thinking it's cool. Yeah. If they want cool, they've got to go back to you know yeah. the ancestors midden you know the, the, to that black yeah. charcoal and and yeah mate i do think that's what's happening and somehow another yeah. white guys like us have a role to play in it you know oh we have a big role to play in it we have a big role to play in it see this is this is a big big problem they say a lot of people say oh no it's it's got to be young or teaching young or and so on i said no young or want access to um and i've got a tradition uh tropical mosquito after me here oh, no. you'll have <laughs> you will have you will want to know how the mainstream dominant culture works. They want to know. Now they can't go and get that off other younger people. That's a, that's a struggle for them. They've got to come to me who do speak, uh, speak their language and, you know, worked enough and communicating and all that sort of stuff. So they come to me, I can go away and get the mainstream uh, stuff like what is causing diabetes, what is causing rheumatic heart disease or whatever. And then I can come back and, and explain it to them language and they go, oh, right, right, right. And then they've got it and then they can teach their own kids and so on. You know, they can hand it on. So we do have a role to play. And it's, and it's one thing I used to say to seminars all around the country. Don't think just because you're, you're not Indigenous that you haven't got a role to play. You've got a very important role to play. You can actually people, help people find the answers to the confusion they've got. We call it the big madubalian, the big confusion that people have. And this is why younger people get lost. Like they go off, they think, oh, we're, we're the new generations. We're, we're ahead of our parents. We're ahead of everybody else. We're, we're discovering things that nobody else has discovered. And then after you know, another 20 years or they get to 30 years of age, they go, whoa, I didn't realize dad, you were so smart, you know, yeah. um, that you actually had so much knowledge. And some some people might it might the, the kids might wait till your sixties and seventies before you but they go whoa I didn't realise you had so much knowledge that's just humanity that's the way humans are uh, so we have a role to play in in talking about this uh, going back to the Nordengitch going back to the black charcoal in the shell midden yeah and trying to find those those good ways of living yeah. I just get the sense that, that, that like, coming, reading your book and that, uh, that, that, and it's, you know, it's obvious that, like, a lot of Indigenous people end up in no man's land now because, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're neither in their own culture because they've been estranged from it one way or another. Mm. Uh, you know, it's been shamed or, or just made to seem yep. impracticable or, or, or just there's no, they're not able to, you know, do that dovetailing even with their, with their, aunties and grandmothers and and, and whatnot yeah. yeah but on the other hand they don't have a place in the in the new one either like and, and this this yeah. this this very important role that, that that your book seems to play is is that it is like i say it's a template for 
this is how you can you can hear both sides or, or I don't yeah. know it's everyone hearing both sides it's not you know and and that, and that dovetailing to me is like the the functional thing that happens when when this magic is going on is is that mm. yeah you have the two sides able to to fit with one another and and, and the fit is not static it's it's dynamic you know like yeah now yeah. we can move together you 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 you, yeah. you you talk and i listen i listen to you talk you know it's all like that that yeah. dance of yeah. reciprocity but mm. like to find that fit um and i guess the thing is that that that, that what western culture has done across the board is sabotage the fit it doesn't it doesn't matter what yeah. you're talking about whether it's between people and people or people and land or people in their bodies or it's just like sabotage we're just like no we're going to yeah. put this mechanical process that doesn't respond at all it just steamrollers over yeah. it goes no no get out of the way we're doing this yeah we're going to fill you with pills <laughs> and uh but, but let me just tell you a quick story there in terms maybe not quick but uh it's one of the sad things that i got to deal with is seeing uh, here in Australia, they're trying to in encourage as many young 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 people to, to go away to college and everything else like that, right? So they go away to college, and it's the same with kids from same with kids from Papua New Guinea. They come down from Papua New Guinea into Australia and all that. Now these kids go to college, right? And Chinese kids come from China to go go to college and university in Australia too, but the Chinese kids can get access to 32,000 English words in their own language in just minutes on, on computer. They, they hear an English word, they can look it up quickly and understand it in Chinese. The kids coming from Papua New Guinea, those indigenous kids, the kids coming from uh, regional communities across Australia, Aboriginal kids, they got no such dictionary. So what happens? They crash out, they crash and burn. And they come back to their community, as you say, they are now lost. They are lost people. We've spent hundreds of millions of dollars destroying these kids' lives. They come back to communities. They can't fit into the old the community. They say, "Oh no, I'm sophisticated now. I've got a might have one certificate or two certificate, whatever." They might not have even a certificate to to prove for it. And and so what happens is they get lost. And they think, oh, I really want to go out and, and live the white follow way. I want to go out and live the European, the Western way. So they end up, they end up then going towards uh, big, big towns and cities, and they become the itinerants. They become the drunks on the street, and they're dead within, you know, ten and twenty years. I remember a guy from uh, a place called Millingimby, and he said, "Well, what you're saying, what you're saying, Richard, is true because." I came back, I went to college with, uh, with about five or six kids. You know, we went to college. We came back to Millingaby. We only lasted there a little while because we got into arguments with the old people with whether the world was flat or round and whether the, whether the uh, moon went across and turned into a fish and swam back under the big sea and so forth. Now, it really was a nonsense argument. You don't have to know that whether you, unless you're going to be a... a uh, uh, airline pilot or something like that but it created a big argument anyway they they ended up going out to darwin and 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 just becoming drunks in darwin and he says out of all those kids i'm the only one that survived i'm the hmm. only one that survived and oh. i can tell that story over and over and over and over again and yet government is still absolutely convinced that somehow or another you've got to get these aboriginal people out of community you've got to give them they see a different form of magic, a magic called 
learning English. And I say to them, why don't you let them learn English at home? Yes, it'd be great if they could learn English so they can access the information they need and all that. Not in 200 years has any government in Australia created an English learning program for an Aboriginal language. And to me, I just say, that's an absolute shame. That's an absolute shame. Yeah. You could create that program. They could even do it online these days. They could, they could stay at home. They could interrelate with granny grandpa and so forth and get that traditional knowledge and they could then also access western knowledge in in a real way not in a way where it's just what they're coming off facebook and so forth at the moment you know instagram and facebook and all the all the rest of the uh, platforms that that are really messing with their heads in bad ways yeah yeah well i mean again getting into the sort of i mean that's terrible um but getting into the naively optimistic space again, you know, like mm. what um, what I'm so conscious of now is how, you know, the real new science is opening up stuff that left, right, and centre affirms indigenous knowledge about how the world works. Yeah. So that you know, if young people, young Aboriginal people, were able to get out and 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 see what's going on, you know, like yeah. really culturally the shifts that are going on. I mean, I'll give an example and people listen to the podcast. We bored of hearing this cause I'm, I mentioned it practically every week, but I'm so struck by the fact that there's a little video, which was a little, very sort of minor sort of uh, audience reach that it had when it was released called uh, fantastic fungi. And it's all about yeah. how the mycelium under the ground in the forest mm. enables the trees to talk to each other and, and, other really far out stuff about fungi you know yeah yeah but it all yeah. points to like these are things that indigenous people have been saying all along but now we've yeah. we've 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 got it under microscopes we've got it using long-term studies with statistical analysis and all of these things that make things visible and credible to, to the western mindset you know yeah um so this film that was being shown in in like small showings online or in village halls or whatever suddenly got signed up by netflix and it's being seen by millions of people worldwide, worldwide. And the light is coming on in people's heads saying, hey, trees talk to each other using mycelial networks. And yeah. wow, you know, this is like fairy tale, tale stuff, mm. you know, the, the, the yeah. interconnectedness yeah. of all things. Most mm. people would not swallow that five, 10 years ago. Now you've got stuff like that being broadcast into people's living rooms and yeah. basically reforming how people think to, to, to turn back to, you know, the living world in whatever form, whether you're talking about landscapes or the living world of your own body to think, Hey, yeah. this stuff is, is a amazing, <laughs> be complex and, and, and deep and profound. And, 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 and yet we can get a feel for how it works. If, if we're, if we, if we listen carefully enough, but B, oh, I forgot where I am, ABC, whatever, but you yeah, know, yeah. it's all right. It's, all <laughs> it's it's the point is it's really good like there's yeah. there's somebody if we if we trust and work with this rather than stomping all over it and saying no we can't trust it it's too wild it's too crazy it's too unpredictable let's nail it down and make it do what we want you know if yep. we stop doing that and just 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 trust and just just start to work with it again that it's really good it's really yep. healing it's really and i just kind of feel like there's this 
there is this meeting actually that what I'm describing is a dovetailing, you know, the, 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 but, but like the, these Aboriginal kids, if they could just sit there, they would and, 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 and soak this cultural happening that is happening through social media, through videos, you know, people are getting TikTok videos that tell them about foraging in America now. There's yeah. this uh, black American doing foraging videos. Yeah. It's reaching a whole different audience, you know, a whole different yeah. audience, making this culturally credible to, to, to kids that maybe have a cultural thing that I don't want to talk about land because my ancestors were slaves, you know. Don't talk yeah. to me about that. But no, she's <laughs> opening the door on TikTok of all things. But, yeah. you know, so this cultural shifts are happening through the, through the uh, these these media that we've got. And I just think, you know, like, Indigenous kids, if they could, if they could, if they could just get get to get to witness this, you know, right now they'd be they'd be so swelling with pride, you know, that yeah. the, the, the the white man is 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 now actually humbling himself and saying, <laughs> "What the hell? You mean yeah. you mean you you mean uh, yeah yeah." So well, looks yeah. look, this is this is um, the sad part about about it for a lot of our people in Arnhem Land is. They can't go to those media because no. they haven't got enough English, right? No. They're just struggling with understanding English flat out. And that's what I'm saying. If they had access to learning English, like I can learn any language in the world, I just got to click on my computer and start learning. Yep. And, and this is where it's, it's needed. But we do a lot of this stuff through podcasts. And I've, I've had to even do battles in the last few years. A radio service that I built uh, along with the Yungle elders in Arnhem Land here called Yungle Radio, and uh, but the politics pushed me off it, you know, pushed oh, us off it. And oh, and what are they what are, what are they doing with that with that radio service? They're playing music, 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 and more music. And uh, where we have what we call a discovery education model, and, and the discovery education model is to allow people to ask the questions they want about understanding the world, right? whether it's why they're paying so much for power or, or, or why are we getting sick or, or do, how does business work or how does the world work? And the incredible thing about these podcasts is that people discover their own culture. They discover that they already know how mm. the world works, but they didn't realize it. And, mm. and so a lot of our, a lot of our people, when, when we did have control of that radio service in a big way, people were saying, you know, I used to, I used to be so angry with the world that I was a criminal doing break and entries. And I, I listened to you guys talking and I realized, Hey, I've, I've, I've got this same understanding. I can understand the world, uh, but I've, I've got to get it in my language. So it makes some sense to me, you know, but once you get there, then now I'm happy now to go back to my homelands and, you know, live off the, off the, off the land and, and, and look after the places that we should be looking after to produce the animals and the plants and everything else, the coal burning that's needed through the country, you know, to keep it open so it doesn't turn into runaway massive fires, all that sort of stuff, all that traditional knowledge that the mm. world needs so badly mm. uh, in Europe and as well in Australia here, where, where people are just destroying the bush by letting the litter build up until it becomes a massive bonfire, becomes a like an explosion, you know, a massive explosion on a hot day, rather than looking after it and 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 seeing that it actually that actually produces more, locks up carbon, all those sorts of things, all the things that the world needs. So I'm still hopeful because, and that's why I said to people, they say, "Aren't you going to retire and go away?" Some people like to see me go away and get lost, and I said, 
no, I'm retiring into this job. Yeah, I'm retiring into this job. I'm only, only really just getting started, honestly. <laughs> and that's why I say, if people want to hear about some of the original culture in Australia, that stuff that we're just starting to put out now online on, on the, it's called cultural learning, I think it's called. I've got to get it right, but uh, but you, you'll see it there, cultural courses, cross-cultural learning courses that we're putting up. And it's it's going to teach more people about, about how to communicate across languages and all that and different cultures, but also a lot about the traditional culture, a lot about the traditional culture, Australian culture. So there's more respect then for Indigenous people. So people can see that Indigenous people were highly intelligent yep. and they'd worked out systems, systems that, that were good for their living and it'd be good for the world in 100 years' time, you know, in terms of being healthy and fit. And uh, what we call... There's a word in Yung, another word in Yungamata called Mara Midi to be to be in credit with the world in a sense. It's we haven't got a word for it. To be spiritually empowered in a way where 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 I don't feel indebted to the world because I'm actually part of keeping the, the whole system going, you know? Keeping it yep. all going. Yeah. We could go on all night, Miles. <laughs> well, I'm guessing you've got stuff you need to be getting on to, Richard. So yeah. I, don't, I don't want to keep you too long, but yeah. Um, but if people do need the book, uh, it's there, Why Warriors Lie Down and Die. It's in French too now and on our website, whywarriors.com.au. I'm pushing that because I can't get government funding. I need yeah. help from around the world to be able to do this. And the yeah. way you can help us is buy some of our products because all the money gets turned back into building more stuff for young people here in Arnhem Land. Well, yeah, I really need that support. Absolutely, buy your stuff, but presumably, I mean, it can't hurt to say it because you don't know who's going to end up listening to this. Like, you know, people can just give you money, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've got a GoFundMe. You don't mind? I've got a GoFundMe. Yeah, I've got a GoFundMe right now, trying to absolutely. look. Some people might know the with Marika. He's the star in High Country, the big film that that was just filmed a while ago. He's a big star. He's alive today because we did education with him around rheumatic heart disease. His brothers and sisters are not alive. They didn't get the education. I can't right. be in a thousand places at the same time. So I got to him. We did the education. He's now had his, his uh, actually his second operation around his heart valve. And he said to me the other day, he says, thank you, brother. I'm alive because of you. And I said, will you help me get this information out to the world? Because well, it's, it's, it's a big problem in Australia. It's a big problem in, in New Zealand and so forth, rheumatic heart disease. And, and so we've got to go fund me up there if people could put money to that. I'm sick of waiting for government. You know, we, the people have got to get up and say, okay, we'll do this if the government yes. won't do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, look, it's been, it's been really lovely talking to you. Been great. <laughs> right. Thanks a million, mate. Thanks a million. Okay. Good night, we yeah. say we say here jut jut, which means like happy travelling. Oh, amazing! Okay, well, jut jut. <laughs> See you. Okay.